You are listening to Varden's Romo's podcast, conversations with aliens of extraordinary ability. A jolly good day, all listeners. Verdensroma is a mutual support network of around 200 international cultural professionals based in Norway. We formed as a call to self-organize, to reach out to each other, to develop infrastructures for mutual aid, and to use our joint forces to overcome precarity and immigration uncertainty. In this series, you'll hear us discuss where we have come from, what we are, and where we are going. We do hope you enjoy. Can you hear me nicely? Hey, well, I'm geared up, guys. I'm ready to go. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe we should start with just like a happy birthday. I mean, belated happy birthday for Venezuela. Yeah, thank you, uh, Rodrigo, for whining on Facebook at some point and like drawing the attention of all large art institutions or maybe one art institution. Then getting a best collaborator, Gabriel, and then opening it up to everyone else. And then, <laughs> woohoo! <laughs> Cheers for best collaborators. I mean, yeah, it's been kind of a roller coaster year, or things moved really quickly when you posted what you posted, Rodrigo which I guess happened just as the pandemic was rolling out and everyone started to get really nervous in, in Norway. What was, what was in that first post? Uh, it was me just basically extremely bored and really like super anti-COVID-19 regulations. And yeah, I didn't find any more thing to do except for like complaining about all this insane bureaucracy I always had to deal every fucking year with the with the visa so yeah I guess I just like made sort of like a list of like hey do you know this do you know that do you know that you know none of you artists have to deal with this that and that um and that basically that was it like it was just so descriptive there was nothing like sophisticated about it it's just that people didn't know that's that's why it kind of like became a big thing it's just people didn't know so for first time they were like listening um i mean not for first time but like it became a little bit more public as as, as facebook makes things a little bit more public so uh it just the word was spread around just just because of that post and one thing that I've always sort of been interested in was like, you know, what were those, like, you know, what was the conversation between uh, you and Gabs? I mean, I mean, where did it really begin? You know, what was the, what was the, what entailed that first call and be like, oh, you know, what we really need to do is, is start this website and uh, kick things off. Yeah. Well, I remember I was sitting at home feeling really irritated because I had just lost or I was just laid off of one of my jobs as everything was closing down in Norway. And my boss just said, you know, I don't think we can work for a little while. And I remember being really frustrated because that was one like income stream, income source that I was really depending on to make this like income requirement for the permit. Um, 
I saw that fade away and I was really kind of bummed and irritated about that. And then I get a phone call from Rodrigo just saying, hey, UQS is commissioning me to make a text about the situation that we are in as non-European artists and cultural workers in Norway. And that was just such a, an exciting moment for me because I had all this frustration <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the wheel was greased because I was used to sort of talking about this in like a very private way with people that I was interacting with. But then here came Rodrigo with an opportunity to sort of take that, take this conversation that I've been having more privately, mostly privately, and to make it into something productive with him via UQS. And, and Prena, did, you know, in, in Trondheim, did you have people that you could uh, talk to about, uh, I guess, like non-EU immigrant related issues? It's funny, it's always been such an individual struggle. And I think everyone, like Rodrigo said, that just accepts it as something that they have to do. But I was really lucky to have, um, I mean, really uh, Enrique, who was in uh, the Art Academy here, who is really like a kind of guide because he was one step ahead always. He was the first person to turn around and say, hey, I just applied for a self-employed visa. And I looked through his application. It's incredible because in so many ways, what he does in his application is what we're trying to do now. It's completely about trying to tell the UDI which industry he belongs to and how this industry works, what kind of ways in which does this industry make money, how do artists work, what kind of funding models do they have, why does he need to be self-employed? It was incredible because at that moment, we were, I was like, this is the only way we can manage. Like this would have been not possible and not in my imagination if someone I knew hadn't done it. What this group does or this network does is we learn from each other's decision-making. I will never forget that first day that I was invited for this group meeting on Gypsy and just listening to everyone's experiences. I was more interested in all the very intelligent tactics and strategies that people have used over the years to find their way through this visa system. It just felt like one of those things you're like, why wasn't this there before? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's a Facebook community for everything, like the most niche things. And the fact that there hasn't been a support group or community for people in our situation until we decided to start one is kind of shocking. Um, but I think that also maybe that says something about the the, the growth of maybe internationalization at art academies. I mean, I don't know how it's been looking in Bergen or in Trondheim, but I know that in Oslo, like the year before I started, there was one international student. And the year before that, I don't think there was that many either. So I think it's, it's like, maybe we came with this initiative at, at kind of a good moment where the need is matching the demand in a, or the demand is matching kind of amount of energy that the people in that situation could offer to it. So 
And yeah, I mean, the kind of people who can afford to come to Norway for a master's, master's program from a non-European Union country are those who are middle class or can afford this 100,000, you know, deposit. Right. Yeah, so, so just uh, for the listeners, if uh, this makes it in, it's, it's, uh, you need to have around 120,000 krona liquid cash in the bank account uh, in order to uh, get your student permits to do your master's in Norway. Or, I mean, it's not different from other countries. All countries in Europe have the same system, whether it's Finland, whether it's Germany, except it's just um, the difference is, for example, with Germany is that when you are accepted into an education program for two years, you have to show this amount of money, which is almost, I think, which would be around 70,000 krona, and you get a visa for two years. What Norway does is you get a pre-visa before you come to this country, then you get a visa and you have to have transferred this money, which was amounting to 100,000. And then you get a one year visa, even though you are in a two year program have been accepted for the whole term. And I think this makes Norwegian immigration so much tougher. But basically, it's it's not a it's not an easy it's not an easy hoop to jump through at the from the get go, I guess. But yeah, I I actually taught uh, I taught English in Shanghai. I got I was the last uh, batch to be allowed to get a deferral, so I got I got in and I, 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 I saw that I you know I mean I knew that I had to prove that I had that amount of money, and they asked me in my interview, and I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got the cash. I've got the cash. And then they gave me my acceptance. And I said, okay, well, shit, guys, you better bloody defer me for you because I got to go earn some cash. And I went to go teach English in, in Shanghai, which was a wonderful experience, actually. I'm very happy that sort of happened in that kind of way. Oh, that's super enterprising of you. That's incredible. I think that's a great story and great inspiration. I wonder how much, and we've had this discussion before in Vadan's Rumor, how much are people willing to invest in something that is not their uh, autonomous artistic practice? Yeah. I mean, I could maybe speak to also my own feelings, like as, a, as an immigrant working in Norway and, and thinking, okay, every hour, every hour that I'm working for free that I'm not earning money, is kind of costing me double because I have to make up an hour to meet my income requirement. And I'm also losing an hour that I could otherwise be using towards some other goal or towards my studio practice. So it's kind of, I don't know. I think it's kind of, um, I realized that I myself started saying no to a lot of things because I felt like I needed to value my time in, in monetary terms because the conditions of our stay, the conditions of our, uh, residency kind of force us to do so. So that's me speculating also and projecting my own sort of relationship with time and money into this conversation we're having now. Yeah. And I think also, I think a lot of people don't want to talk about their individual immigration situation also. Like, I think this is. I mean, I guess it's, there's a high threshold way to do the work that we're doing and there's a low threshold way to do the work that we're doing 
And I mean, we're, the work of Varnsrome is as simple as exchanging stories inside of the group and offering tips to people um, based on, or this exchange of tips based on experience. And that's kind of low threshold. It's, it's kind of like, ooh, I made that mistake. I'm going to share that experience so that another person doesn't make that mistake. Higher threshold is maybe the work of going out and talking to Kulturada, going to try and find a lawyer so that you can look at the immigration regulations and see, okay, what kind of possibilities do we have here to make, make some more wiggle room for people in our situation? And so I think, I mean, I would like the entire network to also know that, that there's like many capacities that you could contribute to this work. It's, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be working in the working group per se. It's just, um, it can also just be a voice. And at that level, at that low threshold level, there's a lot of engagement and a lot of support. And that's been so, so nice to see. Yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely so accurately describe the engagement within the network, Gabriel. Um, and also maybe the task at hand was, it's challenging. I mean, what we're trying to do is to say, let's take on the Norwegian or let's try and put pressure on the Norwegian government to kind of see the working conditions of artists in relation to where it mismatches with uh, their immigration regulations. And this is maybe not everyone's cup of tea. Maybe we want to talk a little bit more about the podcast and what we hope the podcast to be. If, uh, if this audio can also kind of serve as a trailer for what's to come. Yeah, I mean, I guess a big part of what the working group has done uh, and what, yeah, I guess what we have done is, is uh, you know, thinking about developing infrastructure for mutual aid within our network and thinking about different ways in which um, we can at once highlight the incoherency between uh, cultural policy at a national level that is for an international cultural landscape as well as, a, as diversity within that landscape. And then the unrealistic sort of immigration criteria for establishing an art practice after you finish your master's in Norway. And um, the thing that, that I guess we all found lacking is, is I guess, the network itself and a, and a place where people can share ideas and also places where these ideas can be available and also um, a place where a deep dive into these sort of issues and yeah, I guess like group thinking about various facets of it can happen. And uh, yeah, I guess this podcast is, uh, is a big part of that, just to understand the nature of, of being an international artist in Norway and whether you are thinking about applying to a master's program here, whether you're in a master's program, you know, uh, or whether you graduated already or, you know, whoever you are, that, you know, this... Yeah, this sort of, I would argue, important sort of demographic within the within the cultural sector in Norway, things that that I'd play basically in being in that position. Yeah, I guess other other things that we've we've got going is uh, 
a, a website. I don't know. Maybe maybe someone else can take the website. Yeah, so it's a, it's a space where we, we can collectively work on uh, shared shared ideas, shared experiences. So making it a little bit more formalized to formalize what it means to to be a part of this network a little bit more, uh, to have a face towards large institutions that are now more and more openly supporting us, whether it's NBK or Kunsthallen uh, Network or UKS or um, all the other you know, the article, some of the art academies. Uh, it's also a place we're hoping that we can start developing a network for work exchange, where we realize that we are each other's employers and employees, or we are each other's um, books and music. And, you know, we that's what we can do for each other. So offer hard and soft skills and friendship and companionship. So somehow to build infrastructure to facilitate that? Well, I guess it's my understanding is that, you know, as, as not a EU artist based in Norway, we share all the struggles, but also we share all the benefits that means to be an artist in Norway. And we share that with other artistic groups or with other artist groups. Uh, but on top of that, we have to deal with, you know, a, a sort of like a second layer, which is, you know, immigration and so on, so on. Um, and I think that for us to kind of like, for, for me particularly, to I, I still feel like a, almost like a student. I feel like Barnes Roma has, in a way, functioned for me as a, almost like a Pandora box because you start like looking into a, a particular, uh, very specific issue, and then you sort of like you know start trying to scrutinize that issue to try to understand it and to and to work around around uh, the edges of, of, of you know the, the law and the conditions etc um and then you you sort of like start making associations with other uh with other struggles that are part of the of, of just being an artist um and you start sort of like a, or at least for for myself it's it's been such a realization to kind of like be able to um to, to see the bigger picture of what it really means to be an artist and 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 how to how we, we are trying to collectively build some um, you know both physical but also like in this in the case of the website is more of like a digital infrastructure for for us to really not only focus on the present struggles but what's coming next. I mean, what's coming next is it's going to be even more struggling and more. Uh, more challenging than what we're facing right now. And to be able to also like have these, you know, future oriented exercises about what's going to be the future of, you know, artistic practice in general. Um, and how is that uh, connected to our current struggle and how we can navigate our struggle without forgetting or without leaving behind all the different uh, elements that will play a role in how do we, uh, you know, communicate with each other? How do we interact as a group? Uh, how do we um, create collectivity and and really try to uh, basically, you know, uh, depart from a very basic uh, but fundamental uh, thing, which is you know mutual support. Like, how can we really? Um, how do we how do we define sustainability for ourselves? Uh, or for me, that's one of the most exciting things to, to 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 do. You know, just to exercise together and train ourselves for the future. Uh, and that you know has to do with with, with the community on, on the website. It has to do with 
uh, economies, it has to do with, uh, you know, bureaucracies, so many things that I think uh, we cannot pinpoint the work of Barton Shalom as just advocating for immigration. We, I think we're advocating, even if we don't want to do it so explicitly, I think we're advocating for uh, much larger issues than just that. I think an interesting point that I want to pick up is also your mention of the word sustainability and what is sustainable practice. And maybe my own personal interpretation of a sustainable practice is a, is a practice where you you're able to kind of conserve energy to some extent. And I think the challenge of the challenge of uh, non-European artists in Norway is that like so much energy is being expended just trying to understand the rules and regulations of residency, understand how the terms of your residency plays with um, different funding structures that all artists are dependent upon in Norway. How does my residency play with uh, the Kunstnerresistent Ordningen or the Aspirant Ordningen? Um, so I think the, the opportunity that we have as Vardensroma is to conserve energy for a, a huge community um, by, offering, by offering at least some resources that could save this energy. Um, I mean, and, uh, and by being a middleman with other uh, institutions who don't understand the particularities of this situation. I think this is coming back to the actual point I wanted to make is that whenever uh, seeking advice from UQS or from NBCO, I felt like as an individual, actually I had to just inform whoever I was talking to about the situation that we are in. They had no idea and therefore they had no way to actually help us. So I think this is, this is the potential of Vardens Roma as well as just a kind of broker information between two groups um, so that we can try and find a solution or try and find possibilities for lobbying or possibilities for creating media attention or public pressure or, or whatever. So the podcast is divided into these three blocks, uh, which is um, there's labor, there's education, there's practices of solidarity, and the red thread running through them is immigration. And I think the way in which it's, it is structured, it harks back to, I think, working with Vardens Ruma and working with the material conditions of of our existence in Norway, which is visa, because embroiled in that are so many questions. They are questions about what is the future of art education? What is art education aiming to do? You are constantly educating large masses of people who do not have work. It does not fall into this world of work. Uh, you rely on public funding because there isn't so much of private funding here. How long will this continue? What is the, you know, what are the different terms and conditions of these con of these things? It's this one tiny thing, which is tiny in some sense of the visa, but there's so much packed in this in this one idea of the of our struggle, which is visa. It's it's a weird one because. It, it determines so much of uh, the way you live your life, I guess, which is 
I guess so different to sort of the way I lived my life in South Africa or, or, in, or even in Shanghai, for example. But maybe it was a slightly different scenario. But it's it was it was funny how, especially when I graduated from the master's program, how how that sort of like that was the episode, you know, that was the center stone of my life, and and all other decision making was sort of revolving around around um, you know, I guess the visa criteria, you know, and uh, particularly when it plays such a big role in you know what work you can do, uh, what oppor- opportunities should you be looking for, you know, how you spend your time, you know, where where are those opportunities available like how do you uh, get those opportunities and basically it's and I think this is the main thing that we share and and you know particularly like in light of the pandemic the urgency to band together was the amount of stress it causes people like on a, just on a personal individual level I mean um, particularly when you sort of you know you're fresh out of a master's program you know you've been you know, you've been you've been hustling so hard, you know, just to sort of get through the program. You know, whether that be earning money and reaching the the visa criteria as you go, that um, you know, you, your your roots are so shallow, basically, in the ground of your of your city that then to sort of start sort of confronting, um, yeah, I guess the decision of you know what should what should happen when you when you finish your MA, I mean, it's already such a uh, sort of <laughs> dire, it can really be such a dire and traumatic experience finishing an MA and then having to enter the the market or like the job market to some degree in your profession. And then you're confronted with uh, unre- like unrealistic criteria in order to establish your practice. And for someone that has valued freedom of thought and experimentation and, and adventure, you know, to have such a rigid, like, life choice options, you know, this this is a, a huge wake-up call, and it, and it often doesn't correspond to the way you intended your life to be as an artist, and and that, I think, can cause a lot of stress. So the the question that, that these conditions of the visa result in for me is how can I meet this criteria in a way that allows me to think of my profession differently. Yeah, totally. And I, and I, and I also, yeah, I, I think what you also said about that, you know, the, basically there's the visa criteria and then your, your life become, or like it becomes to some degree the sort of cornerstone of your life. And then your actions are sort of directed towards problem solving those criteria, basically. It's, you know, I mean, so then like, then you've got to sort of re- renegotiate your practice to some degree, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, obviously this would be true no matter where you are, you know, we're in a, we're in a place where the, the possibilities of being an artist aren't dependent on the art market, for example, unless, you know, it's a different kettle of fish. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, you're going from a master's degree where in a way there is this, you know, this openness or like, you know, maybe you, you're answering that criteria, which is like, you know, whatever, maybe that's the pedagogy criteria or even like finding, you know, or this, maybe self-discovery as you mentioned earlier or something like this. Or, um, and then to sort of, then you move out of that and then you, when you enter the sort of the professional artistic landscape in Norway, 
basically, I think it, what I'm saying is that as, as an international artist, the criteria of the visa become what the MA program was before. And uh, I think that, you know, is, you know, that obviously will have a say in the work one makes. I think what we are also talking about is, and I think this is where we started, is that we identified one as the visa, as as uh, something that shapes artistic practice, but it's also the world we live in. Maybe the goal also of, of artists has to start reflecting the world around us, right? Like we are already seeing how the world shapes us. And then of course, then of course the question will arise how are we supposed to shape the world? Like what do we want to do in, under these circumstances of a climate crisis or, of like uh, right-wing dictatorships of all these things? How are these things actually affecting our, our, the way we work, the way we think uh, in ways that can, that need to be radically changed? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, not I mean, in the world. It's going to probably be the worst time, just, fi- just like as far as this, you know, just uh, pragmatically as far as finance and the art market is concerned to be an artist, you know, for a very long time, you know, it's going to be, really, it's going to be, uh, it's very scary. I think um, with the economic crash that's going to come from Corona, uh, that is at least expected, and I think they predict a ten-year recovery. I mean, I think that we've never before had this, you know, amount of economic growth, and we never had before this sort of like richness, if you want to put it that way. And nonetheless, we still are experiencing like super high levels of inequality. And honestly, we have, we know we're exploiting, we're ex- explosion, exploding like so many resources in, in, in this planet. And, and I don't really honestly think that we can be any richer than what we are right now. Like, I, I just like, as, as a, you know, talking a, on a planet scale. Um, so, which makes me feel, uh, or think about like uh, how how's gonna be the situation for um, not only for artists but in this particular case for artists in in I'm not talking maybe uh, you know 100 years from now it's just probably 20 30 you know three two three decades from now like how can we set up a way of working or a way of life how can we set up new systems that actually allowed us to do what we want to do as artists to practice our, um, you know, our vocation as, as, as you said, Anthony before long, how can we do that in a way that uh, we can still make a living out of that? Like right now we have so much wealth and at the same time, artists are not getting paid any better than, you know, recent time um, than a few years ago or than 20 years ago. So I don't know, I'm just like, maybe not so hopeful for the future if we keep insisting in these systems that are reproducing themselves, uh, reproducing all these conditions that are not favorable for, um, for the economic sustainability of, of artists or self-employees or, you know, people working as freelancers trying to, to make a living with like, yeah, being creative, you know, they're, yeah, I, I just got to feel like creative economies are going to be under huge stress uh, 
I mean, there already are, and there is a cultural deficit for sure, but uh, especially since COVID-19 started. Um, but I don't really see how that cultural deficit will, um, I don't know, in a way be, how can we overcome that in a way that uh, we don't go back in circles, right? Like we don't sort of like try to chase our own tail and, and like end up at that point again and again and again. Um, so I think that bringing artists together, like creative or thinkers or, you know, people that have something to say together, that's one of the most, and again, like the, I'm open parentheses because, you know, radical is a word that I, I'm very much apprehensive about, but I will use it right now. If, if you really want to have, you know, radical thoughts for the future, radical organization, like self-organizations, um, then then we need to bring all these people together. I think that Barton Roma does that uh, in its own way and it, in its own scale. Um, but that's something I hope we could just like, you know, um, socially monetize on uh, in a way and creatively as well. I agree with you, Rodrigo, in many ways. And I think also this is a question of sustainability that we keep coming back to. I mean, maybe we have to uh, relook at the understanding of preservation of a vocation in the same way. Uh, there's another way in which artists need to be integrated or need to integrate their ways of thinking, or which is often called instrumentalized. Uh, in, if you, it depends on where you where, where you stand on the fence, um, but I don't know. All open questions. But I mean, we're we're gonna have like I don't know, like nine, ten more episodes to kind of like really go through all these questions. And probably at the end of the day, we we're still gonna have even more questions um, than now. Uh, but I think it's a, like really a good good step forward to try to not only understand what we're doing, but how that has an impact on the people that are you know becoming part of the network that are, you know, voluntarily wanting to, to, you know, participate in this, in these debates, in these actions, in, in this way of rethinking, uh, how can we, despite the fact that we have all very particular, very unique ways of seeing art and ways of practicing it, how can still try to find a common ground to, to go beyond that, those categories and, and think as a, as a collective mind about how, how we can, um, in a way, contribute to certain changes that will um, will change the conditions that we're experiencing right now. I think at, at the end of the day, I would like to see that as well. Yeah, and um, no, just also moving forward in other episodes in the future, you know, I think there's something to be said just for us as Money U international artists based in Norway, just talking in, and... Uh, you know what? What is on our mind is, I think, in in many ways, revealing uh, as to what the sort of being in the situation entails. You know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we've made it. You know what I mean? Like we got into these beautiful masters programs, and uh, you know, we we here and uh, we we are being artists. And yeah, I think in a way, like this can this can sort of draw insight into a lot of other things that it entails, even if it's, if we don't speak directly about uh, money artist and lawyer issues, basically. 
I also just want to put in one more thing that I think it's one thing that this conversation that we had when we put it out, one thing that comes across very strongly, which I deeply respect, is that we all come from very different places and we all want to speak to each other and listen to each other. And I think this, this um, I personally really admire because we're all trying to figure out these things. Like I don't have this crazy knowledge uh, of labor theory and all these kind of things on which I am banking on in order to make an argument. I just want to say that there's great vulnerability in this very um, trustworthy discussion amongst people I trust to be, you know, become, to become public. <laughs> so it's a request to listeners to, to know that and to kind of acknowledge that at some level. Yeah, beautifully said. And uh, I feel strongly the same. I uh, just want to thank uh, everyone for listening and uh, for spending your time here with us. And uh, yeah, have a cool week. And uh, shout out to, to UKOS and uh, BKV, uh, fans of the show, uh, not to mention generous sponsors. I'd, I'd, I'd also just like to, to thank UDI. Uh, for sponsoring no, 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 no. this podcast, <laughs> no, no, no. big fans of big fans of the show, fans of the show. And, uh, uh, yeah. So sh- shout out, to, uh, shout out to special shout uh, out to the justice minister. <laughs>